Welcome to Breaking Bad News, Apron Food PR's podcast about food brands, recalls, withdrawals, alerts and issues, and the way they're treated in the press and on social media. Welcome, everyone, to this edition of Breaking Bad News. I'm Jeff Hahn, and I'm joined by my partner in crime, Jenny Gregorsik. Jenny, I would love to say it's great to see you, but we can't see each other. Both of us are on the road. I know, I know, but it's great to hear your voice and talk to you, Jeff. I, I miss you, but yep, we're, we're both on the road and doing this virtually. You're visiting clients, and as usual, I'm in an undisclosed location because of uh, witness protection program issues. <laughs> That's, <laughs> That's right. Gets, I, I have no idea where you are right now, and I'm okay with that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, please don't give it away. You know, you, I gotta, I've got to stay pretty loose given my background. I don't even know what that means. And again, I don't want to know. <laughs> <laughs> well, even though we're not together, it's, it's great to come together. And we're going to be um, talking about recall of the month for February 2020. And um, we've got some interesting stuff to talk about, a little bit of history here. Yeah, absolutely. We'll, we'll certainly get to the recall of the month, but I think first we wanted to, you know, pick up on the conversation we had last time where we were talking about the history of food safety. And you might remember I gave five big dates starting way back in 1862 when USDA was formed. We talked a little bit about the um, Pure Food and Drug Act in 1906. Yep. We talked about when in 1970 we started um, monitoring for food safety outbreaks, the first recall in 1973, and then the passage of FISMA in 2011. So those were really the big, biggie five dates that we talked about. And I think today we wanted to dive a little bit deeper into a couple pieces of that. Yeah, I felt like it was a really fun uh, trip back through history. Interesting, and from just a milestones perspective, the history of food safety from a major policy standpoint isn't um, filled with gigantic pieces of legislation on a regular basis, but these big five that you talked about and introduced us to um, were really the major markers along a long timeline. Um, instead, food safety has been a, an industry or a rules-making body that has slowly evolved until such time as the things like uh, the Food Safety Moder- Modernization Act kicked in in 2011. So it's really interesting how it all culminates. And it even takes me back to the uh, Pure Food and Drug Act of 1906. We were talking about Harvey Washington Wiley, the first USDA commissioner. Well, Harvey Washington Wiley was a chemist. And one of the things that he was finding in food, especially milk, was all kinds of chemicals that manufacturers were putting into foods. And they were just appalling. Uh, things like arsenic and other chemicals that may have preserved food but they poisoned people. And it w- if it weren't for Wiley's persistence and then finally his uh, appointment to USDA commissioner, we wouldn't have had the Pure Food and Drug Act of 1906. And as we mentioned on our last episode, really the, 
the bad news break that catalyzed all of Wiley's ideas into motion as a policymaker um, was The Jungle by Lewis Sinclair, talking about the Chicago meatpacking industry and the extraordinary uh, unsanitary conditions in that industry. So it has taken those kinds of major rifts or tectonic shifts in the industry to create policy. And we have to give a high five to Harvey Washington Wiley because he's the one who um, surfaced so much of the early days of unsanitary conditions, um, unhealthy practices, additives that were harming consumers. He was the guy and one of the first major activists in this area that actually was able to muster policy into place to help protect the entire food system. Yeah, absolutely. You're, you're so right. He's a really interesting one, I think, to talk about for sure. And, you know, when talking about those key dates, um, 1862, like we said, was when the USDA was formed. But it wasn't until 1906 that they were doing anything really on the food safety front. And you're right. Wiley was just shocked at what he was seeing because it truly was a wild wild west and anything goes so I think he really is credited for fighting for food safety standards in our country and I think uh, he also used a really interesting method to make that point yeah and because he was a chemist he had this really cool insight it's worth diving down a little bit deeper into his history because um, uh, there are so many different things that he brought into the conversation that wouldn't have been possible had he not had the upbringing that he had. By the way, um, isn't it a book called Poison Squad, Jenny? Um, uh, yep, Deborah Bloom's book, yep. Deborah Bloom's book, yes, Poison Squad. That's the history, uh, but we'll condense it here for you in just a minute or two. Dr. Wiley grew up on a farm, just like me. Then he went into the military, just like me. Uh, and that's about all we have in common. <laughs> after, after the Civil War, Dr. Wiley went to school. He worked in several places and wound up um, as the USDA's chief chemist. In fact, he uh, started in that role right as USDA was formed. And you have to remember, this is the late 1800s, so there's no regulation in place for food safety. Truly, as you said, Jenny, Wild West big time. And Wiley was really uncomfortable with the stuff he saw going into food, for example, um, and you find this in Poison Squad, the um, additives to cheese, for example, um, additives to cheese were um, not food coloring back then. In order to make it appear more orange, companies would add in uh, red lead to do the trick, lead inside of the cheese. And so, that was the stuff that Wiley was able to find because of his chemistry background. And um, he set up this section inside of USD called the Poison Squad. And the idea was that these employees who he recruited would get three meals a day, seven days a week, uh, completely paid for by the government. And these were really nice meals made by a professional chef. Here's the catch. The recruits had to agree that half of what they ate would include some kind of food additive. And I'm not talking about colors here. It was stuff like formaldehyde, borax, salicylic acid, 
all stuff that's really bad for you. Wow. So they were basically putting Roundup in people's food and they were agreeing to do it. Yeah. And these uh, young men he recruited all in this poison squad really agreed to be guinea pigs. That was a remarkable thing to agree to. But people signed up to do it. And the experiments were highlighted in a recent feature on public television. It was the American Experience, a great show. It was a great show. And you know what? Um, Wiley's Poison Squad experiments were also featured in a public radio exchange story where an actor actually read passages from Wiley's diary. Let's take a listen. The solution was obvious. Fortunately, the Department of Agriculture is richly provided with subjects for experiments, if only their consent be obtained. So Wiley recruited a dozen clerks and low-level employees. In exchange for free room and board, they signed a pledge that they will not hold the government responsible for any illness or accident, including death. And in December 1902, the experiments began. The men lived and ate in the Bureau of Chemistry. A chef prepared the meals. Roast lamb, 66 grams, potatoes. And Wiley would spike these meals. Peas, 50 grams. With increasing doses of borax. Very interesting. So, Jeff, what happened after this experiment? Well, the results of Wiley's Poison Squad really changed. the. They, they were a catalyst for food safety regulation in our country. Once people understood um, what was happening in the food and what its effects were on human beings, and uh, Wiley, was a, he was a pretty proficient writer of letters to congressmen. Um, once that information started to be shared and the press picked up on it, momentum began to build. The public couldn't get enough. The news stories about the squad bounced between outrageous and outraged. There were headlines like, poison eater dead, or salicylic acid hurts. And after years of this, the stories paid off. Wiley finally got what he wanted, a food law, a big one. How does a general feel who wins a great battle and brings a final end to hostilities? I presume I felt that way on the last day of June, 1906. That's the day that Congress passed the Pure Food and Drug Act. This law would lay the grounds for what would eventually become the FDA. Now, for the first time, food companies could be fined if they lied on their labels. And states could ban specific chemicals from food, which many did. Wow, what a fascinating, fascinating guy. I think his choice of tactic is certainly interesting, but... Um, you know, I bet he'd be pretty proud to know that today we have an incredibly safe food supply in this country. Yeah, you're right. Uh, the use of human subjects as test, su as test subjects for an experiment like that, I don't think it would um, be approved by any ethical body these, these days. But boy, he made the point. And um, back then, it took that kind of observation that people could see the effects on on these human beings in order for them to be convinced. Yeah, interesting, interesting. I also think Dr. Wiley would be pretty surprised to know about our recall of the month this month because he'd probably be surprised, um, one, that this item exists from way back when and that you can actually recall it. Oh, so you've got, uh, you just dropped a big clue on us about your pick for recall of the month? I did. I did. And I'm ready to share with you what the recall of the month is. But first, let's take a quick break and we'll do the big reveal when we come back. 
This episode of Breaking Bad News is sponsored by no one, because no brands want to be associated with this topic. And can you blame them? The team from Apron Food PR, however, is proud to step into the vacuum. You can learn more about Apron Food PR's brand protection and promotion work by visiting apronfoodpr.com. Hey, welcome back to the second half of our Recall of the Month. Here we are talking about February 2020 recalls. You know, typically on Recall of the Month, we like to dive into how news media has treated a particular recall. And we look for patterns. We try to figure out why did a certain recall get a lot of attention? My buddy, Janie Gregorsik, tells us, told us a lot about the father of food safety, Harvey Wiley Washington, Harvey Washington Wiley, pardon me. Um, and you said, Jenny, you think he would be surprised about your pick this month for recall. Well, um, I don't know. That dude was pretty clever. So you're going to have to pull something out of the hat to surprise him. Sure thing. I can do that. This month's recall of the month doesn't actually even go to a food brand. Well, at least not a traditional human food brand. It actually goes to a pet food brand, and that is Purina. Purina. Pure, oh, dog food. Are we talking about dog food? Actually, it was not dog food. It was um, a recall on their Purina rabbit feed, turkey feed, country acres rabbit feed, and do more chick starter. And the problem here is that these products were thought to have high levels of calcium in them that can be harmful to animals. Um, calcium is especially harmful to rabbits. And interestingly enough, the symptoms of too much calcium intake in rabbits can include, um, they get really lethargic um, because they eat less, their urine turns pink. Um, and the fear with that is not only that they will um, get into poor health by eating this food, um, but they actually will refuse to eat, which can eventually lead to death. So yeah, yeah. the food itself isn't toxic. It's the, um, the byproducts of, of what happens where they stop eating that is, is lethal to them. So um, they didn't have any complaints on the turkey or chick food, um, but cal high calcium levels can definitely be an issue for turkeys and chicks as well. It can lead to kidney calcification, which sounds terrible, um, and leg uh, abnormalities, which yeah. also sounds terrible. Um, oh. And those things can be spotted when they're like six weeks old. Yeah, well, I see how you connected the dots. Our friend George Washington Wiley, first commissioner of USDA, a chemist, would have explored the additives that are going into food and as a chemist, he would have had uh, his team looking at the particulars uh, inside of those food products. Well, here we go. We've got uh, high levels of calcium that are being loaded into um, animal food that's not typical, not normal. And I guess um, if I'm thinking about rabbits and chicks, they're pretty cute. So did this recall uh, hit the media a little bit harder? Well, let's talk about media coverage in a minute. But I think what is most interesting about this recall is the fact that it's on pet food and people food. And um, as the 
pet food market is just mushrooming, we're going to continue to see more and more recalls on pet food products. It's I a think big, it is a big, big industry, pet food. Oh, it's, it's absolutely huge. Check out some of these numbers behind spending on, on pets. It's unreal. Americans spent last year a total of $23 billion on pet food, plus $14 billion on supplies and medicine, $15 billion on vet care, $2 billion on live animal purchases, and $5 billion on pet services like grooming and boarding. Wow. Those are gigantic Jeez. numbers. Yeah. But I think we have to put them into some context to really understand them. Um, in 2018, here's some other stats that'll blow your mind. In 2018, U.S. pet spending grew at double the rate of household income. And growth in America's pet spending represents a 50% increase from 2013 to 2018. So when we say that this industry has absolutely mushroomed, it certainly has. Because while pet spending has increased 50% during the same time, America's annual income has only increased by 23%. So it's, um, it's proportional. Mm -hmm, exactly. So people are spending just more and more money on their pets. And I think there's some other things that are happening in that space that with the growth of the pet food space is going to contribute to a correlation and more recalls. And I think first there's three, three big things here. First is that generationally we're seeing the younger generation favor fur babies over real babies. Um, you know, if you look back in 1970, 40% of married couples had kids. And in 2012, it was down to 20%. Um, so that's the first big thing, choosing fur babies over, over having real babies. Human babies. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I guess fur babies are real babies. I'm not sure how to well, phrase that, but dogs instead of kids. Yeah, you can't um, really say skin babies. That doesn't work, does it? Yeah, that doesn't work right. <laughs> Um, second is we know households are spending more on these products. We just talked about that um, oh, yeah. and the statistics yeah. there. And then the third thing is um, what they're spending their money on in the pet food space. Um, both Pedigree and Purina um, have had for some time a slump in their sales on their basic dog food products because pet food owners are really looking for more premium items only the best for their pups. Yeah. And you know what, Jenny, remember when I went to that um, food competition, it was kind of a starter up, startup competition and half of the brands that were on stage were actually oriented towards this market you're talking about ultra premium pet food. In fact, there is, um, there was one startup company that they had a manufacturing facility already set up. I mean, they'd, they'd had tens of millions of dollars of already invested, but they made, what's that when you boil meat in a plastic package, sous vide? Is sous vide. Mm -hmm. Sous vide. They made sous vide dog food. Yep. And uh, people subscribed through their website and they delivered sous vide dog food to the door on a regular basis to these pet owners. I mean, that was very high-end stuff and certainly a long ways away from the farm when we were throwing the dog chow down on the ground. <laughs> well, and, you know, for a lot of folks, peanut butter and jelly lunch for the people and, you know, premium sous vide 
food for the dog. I mean, it's, it's amazing. Um, consumers are paying just a ton of attention to what goes into their pet's food and what the nutrition looks like. I think in, in addition to things like sous vide foods, we've also seen a big rise in the raw food trend for dogs, which is very scary. Um, but you know, Google keyword searches on the word raw, um, for pets rose 32% year over year in July of 2018. Um, while just searches on pet diets and things like that only grew 5%. So, um, and then I think it was Nielsen that said they found a 68% increase in dollar sales of dog food with raw claims on it in 2017, um, which is, a huge, huge increase. Um, and we're seeing big increases, I think 139% in uh, products with probiotics in them and 29% in non-GMO uh, pet foods. So these really premium, premium types of products are flying off the shelves. And I think the food marketer in me says, this is super cool. And there's some really great stuff happening to disrupt the food supply category, really fun new selling opportunity. But if I put on my food safety hat, um, it worries me because these raw foods in particular are so prone to food safety issues. Um, and of course, while this purine recall wasn't on raw food necessarily, I do think the pet industry in general is going to be under more scrutiny going forward. Um, and it's already happening. I mean, if you look at Purina's website, for example, they have an entire section on their website dedicated to helping consumers understand recalls, excuse me, um, to understanding recalls, what they are, what it means, all of that, because they're happening so often in the pet food space. Yeah, it's an amazing um, growth industry when you were rattling off the numbers like Americans spending $23 billion on pet food, I was thinking, no, that's not Americans. That's my wife who's spending all of that money on pet food. It's um, amazing how much these fur babies get poured into by households and the shifting demographics, how they're playing into it. It's just a stunning um, change in the demographic and the, and the rewiring of how we think about these pets in our house. The um, the other thing that you said, Jenny, that I'm really interested in is the raw food movement because it's now moving over into the human food space, raw milk, for example. And, and I don't believe you and I are raw. I, I know I am not a raw food fan. Is I am not either. Yeah. We're worried about it from a food safety standpoint, but you know what? We may not uh, be educated enough to render total judgment. I think we ought to invite anybody listening who is a raw food expert um, and has a real uh, orient, orientation towards why raw food is a good thing. Hey, come on the podcast and um, let's talk about it. I think everyone would like to know more about it because this pet food space is definitely one to watch. Lots of disruption, lots of changes in the demographics. Jenny, can you take us back to Purina? Did the media coverage swing in an unusual way when you looked at it? 
Yeah. And first, I love that idea of your invitation to have somebody on the show. I hope, I hope somebody takes us up on it. Um, but on the media coverage front, it's like you said, people think bunnies and chicks are cute. And so this one got a lot of media pickup. No one wants to see bunnies and chicks harmed. So we saw a lot of national pickup on this one from outlets like Yahoo, CBS News, Fox, et cetera, et cetera. I think we have a clip that we can, we can listen to. And you might want to check your pet's food after Purina recalls some of its products. ABC 17's Zara Barker explains what you need to know in tonight's Recall Roundup. Purina recalled four different food brands sold in 32 states, including right here in Missouri. Customers complained that their pets and animals were getting sick. We think you should know this. Purina Animal Nutrition is issuing a recall for some of its rabbit pet food due to high calcium levels. Elevated calcium, we're told, can cause health issues and even kill your rabbit. Well, this probably won't be Purina's last recall, nor will it be for other pet food manufacturers that it feels like as these premium uh, or this interest in premium food has grown, so have the number of brands in the space. Uh, and everyone is subjected to the same standards in, the, in this arena. So I, I reckon that we're going to have quite a few more recalls of this nature to talk about as we go into the future. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I don't think this is our last pet food recall that we'll even highlight on this podcast either. So thanks, Jeff. I think that's all I've got for today. You know, a lot can happen in a month. So who knows where our March edition is going to take us. It'll be fun. I hope you are safe in your travels. And I will be returning stealthily back to the office as well. We'll look forward to catching up then. Okay, sounds great. Thanks, Jeff. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, everyone. Thank you for listening to Breaking Bad News. Subscribe and learn more at apronfoodpr.com. And if you like what you've heard, rate us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or your favorite podcast app. It really helps.